Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week. Well, as with all good ideas, it starts with sat in a toolbox having your threesies. Yes, we're with Tom Robinson this week, the charismatic former builder and now pioneering founder of the brilliant Adaptivate, giving our old buildings a new set of lungs. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back. This is episode 32 of The Better Business Show. Uh, Thanks for coming back to us if you're a a regular loyal listener. And hello to anyone new joining for the first time. Uh, Pleasure to have you join us. Um, It does nothing for the show. That's what my wife said when uh, she first heard our our theme tune, which is running in the background right now. Uh, She clearly thinks it's a bit naff. And, uh, you know, she's probably right. Uh, But we're going to stick with it for now. Uh, anyway, it's been another super mad busy uh, week here at Better Business Show Towers. Uh, I seem to be the only person working this summer. Uh, we took the decision to have a, an early summer break back in June and I'm regretting it now because I seem to be the only one working and the, it's been very lonely uh, this August. Where is everybody? Um, I suspect everyone's having a, a lovely summer and I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, but we do seem to be getting back to some sort of normality now. I think you know as soon as the football season starts... And I, you know, I know it's the same in the US. The American football season is, is about to kick off too. And um, uh, but as soon as that happens, you know, you sort of know that you're getting into that normal flow of being, and that makes me happy because it makes me a bit uneasy all this time off in the summer. Um, anyway, our usual format for you this week: uh, we're going to hit you with another great story in the form of Adaptivate this week, um, and then we'll have our, our, our regular news roundup with Vicky Knowles. She's back with us, so. Stay tuned for that. Thanks everybody that's uh, subscribed to the Better Business Show newsletter. Um, if you haven't done that, then uh, make make that a job for today. Just go and uh, head over to our website, betterbusiness.show, um, and yeah, give, just give us your email address, and you'll start getting our weekly our weekly newsletter. It's it's a great way for me to stay in touch with you, all the latest news and developments on the show, and uh, of course we now have the the t-shirt business in in full flight. Um, and you know what a first great week um, we, we had on, on the t-shirt store um, so if you're in the market for a new ethically produced organic cotton t-shirt or vest or shopping bag uh, then get yourself over to our t-shirt shop um, there's a link to it on the homepage of the podcast website uh, as I say betterbusiness.show head over there and you'll, you'll see the link to the, to the store uh, but yeah we'll be using the newsletter to tell you all about that venture too um, you know, if we have any offers on or whatever we might be doing with, with the t-shirt shop. So all the more reason to subscribe to our newsletter. Now, before we get started, I just want to give a quick shout out to a, uh, a fairly new listener of the show, and that is my good friend Helmets. Um, I moved offices a, a few weeks back. Um, a, a big call center moved into my old office next door. So I thought it might be a good idea to, to vacate. So I'm still in the I'm still in the same office block, uh, but I'm downstairs now. And of course, I have new neighbours. Um, I rent a kind of unit in a shared block a block um, here in Maidstone, ideal for startups and small businesses. Um, and and Helmets is my new neighbour. Uh, he's he's also a very very keen podcaster. He runs his own podcast. It's a real shame actually because he's shown a real interest in the Better Business Show, and I know that he's listened to a number of the episodes. Uh, but I can't really reciprocate. He he he's a he's a Latvian, and he records his podcast in Latvian. So I've got no idea what his show's all about or what it's like. 
Uh, but he's a great guy, and I just wanted to give him a big shout out this week. Now, the construction sector has its own problems, certainly when it comes to the negative impact it can have on our dear planet. In the UK, the energy from fossil fuels used to build and run buildings accounts for about half of our carbon dioxide emissions. And half of that pollution comes from domestic properties and half comes from commercial properties like schools and offices and leisure centres and, and hotels. And there's a direct correlation between non-green buildings and climate change. Unsurprisingly, 98% of the world's megacities, many of which are jam-packed with inefficient properties, are already experiencing climate risks such as flooding and dramatic weather events. And if developers continue to create buildings in the way that they've done for decades now, the planet is heading for a six degree of global warming. And that's the view of the World Green Building Council, which has been looking into these things. And to stick to within two degrees, a two degrees rise in average global temperatures, a target that most scientists say that will uh, you know, is our best chance of avoiding catastrophe, then the building sector will have to reduce 84 gigatons of carbon dioxide by 2050. And that is the equivalent of shutting down 22,000 coal-fired power plants. It's a huge, huge task ahead. And it's only when you start looking at the individual facets that make up our built environment that you begin to realise just how big a task lies ahead. Now, our subject this week is plasterboard. Of course, it's only a small part of the larger constituent, but improving the performance of this ubiquitous material that can be found in properties everywhere, large, small, old, new, could really make a big difference. And that's certainly the view of our guest this week. Tom Robinson is the founder of Adaptivate, a company that has created a biocomposite alternative to traditional plaster and plasterboard, giving buildings everywhere a new set of lungs, as he put it. Here's my conversation with Tom. Tom, thank you so much for being here on the Better Business Show. Uh, great to have you with us and uh, another great business story for us to explore this week. And I look at your products and you have kind of alternatives to traditional plaster and plasterboard commonly used in construction. And, well, I don't know, you, you just think, well, why, you know, clearly this is the future. And I know that some of the big players in, you know, the supplying to the building trade have worked hard to develop new products and they're always sort of, you know, coming up with new ways of doing things. But it just strikes me, why are we in this situation where every new building that is going up right now isn't being constructed? constructed in the most green energy efficient way why isn't every new building using products like yours uh, I mean do you, do you share that frustration and is that part of the reason why you went into this particular sector yeah I think I think well firstly thanks thanks for having us on Tom um, it's great to be part of what you're doing I think I think I think what you're saying is is completely right it is frustrating um, and I think that the in the bit the construction industry at the moment is in a situation where when well, it has been for years where we are they're that the builds are just being constantly value engineered and most decisions on certainly commercial projects are predominantly made on on the bottom line and and what's really promising now is that we're starting to hear we're starting to hear this kind of this uh, the idea that health and well-being is a big is a big positive in these commercial buildings and actually health and well-being of the building and the people within it is actually contributing directly to the bottom line so I see what we're doing now is we're really communicating and, and really, really clarifying our, our offerings around health 
and well-being that that our our approaches and products um, can can help contribute towards the internal environment, both domestic and commercial. Sure, I will, yeah, I think very interesting. We'll come on to talk more about that kind of the sales proposition, I guess. Perhaps we should probably explain your products. Uh, you have a a breather yeah. board and a breather plaster, two two products. Um, but I mean, what have you created, Tom? Explain what they are. Yeah, so we, um, so I designed, um, I designed, I was basically fed up with, with, with seeing conventional building materials being part of this kind of linear process. Um, and, and really, uh, breatherboard was the first, was the first solution to this. So, uh, breatherboard is a biocomposite alternative to conventional plasterboard. Um, and it's used and installed and in, in exactly the same way because I wanted to reduce those barriers of, of, mm. of, of entry to market. Having been a builder myself, um, I know that, that, that chaps and ladies on site just want to just wanna use the same sort of, you know, same sort of products, right? right. Um, so let's create, let's create biocomposite products that are, that, are, that are installed in the same way so we don't, we don't have that problem. But they're higher performing. So that's where breatherboard sits, uh, and that has a better thermal performance than the conventional one, um, than the conventional products. Um, it's compostable, and it's made out of out of renewable materials, you know, out of bio out of bio aggregate. So it means we can grow, you know, a large proportion of these materials in the future. Amazing. Um, yeah, and then breather plaster, which is our, which are, which is the product that we're launching in October this year, which is very exciting, um, is a is a plaster that can be applied to pretty much any surface. It sticks to plasterboard, so it can be used in any conventional home. Uh, and breather plaster has again fine uh, bioaggregate in it, um, and it acts as a as a sort of as a set of lungs on the inside of the building. So breatherboard and breather plaster have these have these have the bioaggregate and that decreases the density of the material and it enables when we create moisture from cooking and cleaning or or whatever in the house moisture is created and I'm sure we've all seen problems with condensation and and mold um and 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 our products really kind of act as a set of lungs so they absorb this moisture at times of peak and then when we go to sleep or we go to work the levels of moisture are reduced and and breathe board or breathe plaster breathes it back out and this is having direct energy savings is having a reducing effect on condensation and mold and then therefore we're having we're seeing some really significant health health benefits as well that sounds so cool uh, without giving too much away as to the you know your kind of secret source formula uh, yeah. uh, what, what's the what's the science behind this i guess it's biology is it chemistry what, what what's going on there yeah, a bit of both. I mean, really, if I'm being honest, it's sort of a an antiquated sort of composite. Really, um, the premise of it is kind of antiquated. It's, it, these these sorts of composites have been used for millennia, really, uh, Tom. And then what we're doing is we're kind of putting them into contemporary products that that the convent that, that that normal builders and and contractors use, um, so that they you know so that they they can be used in 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 exactly the same way as normal materials right right so you 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 said you've spent some time in the building trade uh you you were kind of fed up with with traditional ways of doing things where where, where did this idea start where did it come from 
Well, as with all good ideas, it starts with sat in a toolbox having your threesies. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> no, it was basically, yeah, it, it, it was, I was working as a builder and had a building company focusing on kind of heritage, uh, heritage, older properties, uh, restoration. And, you know, just saw huge amounts of plasterboard waste going into the skip. Uh, and then when I learned that, like, you know, a quarter of, of, of what's in our landfill is, is accountable from the, from the construction accountable to the to the construction industry um you know and and 15 million tons of plasterboard is sent to landfill each year in europe i kind of went all right okay and then when you dig a bit deeper there's also this thing around you know plasterboard releasing harmful gases when it goes to landfill so and it's from a finite resource so all these things were kind of joining together and then i you know also a lot i was i was seeing a real high prevalence of mold and condensation in these buildings that i was going to and they were created by people and, that, and us living in buildings you know and why are we creating buildings you know that we that we can't live in you know um that doesn't seem right so i kind of joined these two the problems with waste and the circular you know and the linearity of of the kind of construction material industry uh and combine that with kind of materials that are not performing in the way that they should be for our kind of modern living um because of course we're building super airtight buildings um and then i i went on to study a master's in sustainable architecture and that's really where my on-site experience and my passion for for sort of um for environmental for environmental good and 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 also to kind of you know problem solve some of these uh, issues uh came about and i wrote my thesis on on kind of developing biocomposites for these sorts of applications Right. So when was that? That was what, what year was Goodness. that? Um, two thousand and I think I handed it in in two thousand fourteen. Okay, so not long ago. I mean, and, and here no. we are, two, two years later. Where, where have you got yeah. to now? Then, where are your products currently being used? Where, where are you at? Yeah. So we've got we've got a really exciting project, which I can't say too much about at the moment, but we're just about to sort of announce it in a week's time. Um, exciting project that we've got going on um, coming up, and that will be a flagship project in London. Right. Um, and um, really, uh, we are we are pre-commercialization of these of these products. So we're at prototype we're at prototype scale at the moment. Um, we are launch certainly for the board, and we are launching the plaster um, in October. So we've got some we've got we've already got pioneering customers that just you know are desperate to get breathe the plaster on the wall and and get it going uh, and realize these benefits of these wonderful materials. So uh, that's great. Um, and with the breather board, we've got some work to do on the scaling of of that. Okay, okay. But you're up against it because you're up against a, a conventional, you know, fairly traditional market builders, you know, doing things how they've always done them. And mm. I guess breaking into that is going to be tough. I mean, there's been plenty of talk about how legislation will really drive the green building movement, but mm. it's kind of been a bit piecemeal. And mm. I, what would you like to see happen in the building sector, which will really make these products fly? Yeah, I think I think we do need I think we do need some legislation or regulation or how, however that kind of that kind of policy top down sort of uh, approach uh, comes, whatever kind of format that comes in. I think that is essential. And when the government gets its act together and knows which direction it's going to go in, then 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 great, you know. Mm. Um, 
I, I, I made a decision when I started Adaptivate. I wanted to create a business that was independent of, 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 of top-down policy. Yeah. I thought that was essential because I saw that how damaging it's been to certain industries, not to mention any uh, particular, but I think we all know ones that have sort of suf- suffered from the changing of wind direction um, of, of policies. Um, and, and I was very keen to, to provide, provide mainstreamable buildings, material solutions, um, that were independent of these policies, but yeah, I agree. I think the government is sort sort. Now we've got this current situation, you know. I think it needs to sort it out because it is a great opportunity as well, Tom. Right? You know, I mean, eighty mm. percent of the buildings that we've got built at the moment are still going to be standing in fifty years' time, and they need renovating. Uh, and we're still building, um, and 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 there's a great opportunity there to save. Uh, our resources to save our carbon emissions but also just to create good healthy yeah. buildings providing employment for people and, and and pleasant spaces to spend up to 90 percent of our time in yeah, yeah yeah and do you see your biggest market being in the kind of renovation space <laughs> or in new build yeah, I mean both. These our products have have applications for both. So we get a lot of uh, we get a lot of inquiries and 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 potential customers from from the new build, but also from from renovation and retrofit. Yeah, you know, I mean with retrofit, of course, they're increasing the air tightness. So for buildings built before 1920, certainly in the UK here. So um, you know, from from a UK point of view, um, buildings built pre 1920 are very drafty and not very energy efficient. They increase the air tightness of them to to keep the to keep the heat in. But of course, that's also trapping moisture. So, uh, and that's where we can really address that. So, that is that is the main problem that we solve. That is where our performance is, and we have a thermal performance as well as that outweighs and, and the, the the competitors. Um, but yes, that's that's certainly um, that's certainly the the launching market. But I think really, as I said to you before, we are developing and scaling <clears throat> mainstreamable building materials. These are materials that can be that can be grown year on year from renewable resources, um, and and they can and they can reach out into the mainstream construction industry. Yeah, and that's that's been the challenge for the kind of the, the green business, the so-called green business market thus far, isn't it? You, Certainly, your, your products need to stack up as a top product. They can't just be a nice to have. No. They need to be. They need to stand alongside. I mean, what what the, what are some of those conversations sounding like right now? I mean, what what are the kind of struggles for a business like yours trying to break into into such a big market? Yeah, I mean, people uh, again, r- people in uh, particularly in the construction industry are quite risk averse, um, and and it's about managing that. Um, and for a, for a new product, um, even though it's installed in exactly the same way, it looks exactly the same as the conventional product. You know, um, we're working with University of Bath to uh, and 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 a government funded project from the BBSRC to to kind of put those stamps on our products for certification because performance and and of, of our of the product is essential um but that is that is quite uh that is quite a you know a modest barrier which is you know well this is new how do i know it's still going to be on my wall in 10 years time yeah, yeah. Um, well it is you know i mean we we know this it's because because it's uh because it's a high performing material and and we have we have we have tested it 
Yeah. Now it seems that you know a lot of the success you've had so far, you know, so, so far certainly in terms of recognition and and the rewards that go with that is down to the fact that you've picked up a number of awards and, and plaudits, uh, yeah. things like the the EU Climate CI uh, KIC Accelerator, yeah, uh, which you won back in 2014. Um, you know, and this has been said before. You know, we know that technology startups seldom fail on technology. They yeah. always fail on their commercial model. Yeah. How how important are the likes of, of the, you know the accelerator programs like that? I think the, the Shell Livewire competition, which you won last yeah. year as well. Yeah. How, how important have they been in helping you to get this far? Yeah, they they those two particularly that you've mentioned there are are really valuable because what they have um, enabled me to do is to really not look at the industry with a deep-seated environmental product focused um, view that is really really important and the product and the environmental values are super uh, uh, you know fundamental of, of, of adaptivate and and other light businesses um, but really what they enable you to do is kind of just pull yourself out a little bit and just look at the commercial picture as you quite rightly said before and and they've given us the the um, the ability to be able to, to to sort of validate the commercial proposition as well as having a, you know a, a good product to be able to offer and that's and that's super that's critical right because if you don't if it doesn't work economically then you can't have the environmental and social impact that these these sort of uh, social or environmental companies want to want to have um, so providing that and then uh, has, has been brilliant the training uh, but also just providing a platform for us to be able to to be able to get the message out because one of the things about adaptivate that I was very keen to do was to increase awareness and thank you to for, to you for inviting me on 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 a platform like this on a show like this because we do have to increase the awareness um yeah. it's all right preaching to the converted but but we also have to reach those those out further and and because because you know people are hyper aware are becoming more aware of of these other of these other ideas about you know uh, healthy foods, healthy living, um, and all of these things, and 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 healthy materials should should uh, should follow. You know, if we framed our materials like you know, like a typical sort of low fat uh, snack, you know, health snack, it might be uh, you know low carb and healthy. You know, um, mm. that's that's you know, I guess that's a different way of framing it. But yeah, those those things of those those that support has been been uh, very good. And I guess it's it's difficult for a company like yours getting getting that balance right. You say you don't want to build a business that's reliant on on top down legislation, mm. but 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 that but that kind of is really important in kind of you know, sealing the market for, for you guys. If you can't if you can't win the hearts and minds of of you know architects and, and developers, then it's going to have to come from legislation, isn't it? Um, Maybe I I don't know about that, Tom. To be honest with you, I think I mean our view, our sort of uh, medium medium to long term goal is to be able to make these products cost cost comparative cost competitive with the conventional, and we're doing well on that with 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 the plasters. Um, the the I think you can you're either competing on performance or cost as we know, um, mm. or maybe pain as you know customer pain, um, and we and we can compete quite strongly on on those. And you're increasingly seeing markets where they are looking for performance, and they do have these emerging problems. Let's say with condensation and mold, and then mm. someone goes, well, actually, what that, this is what 
we're going to do. We're actually going to standardly specify these products uh, into these situations, um, and that's and that's about hard groundwork from our point of view, with a little bit of, with with the help from the top down. But yeah. uh, I think it's a dangerous place to be able to. Uh, from my point of view, it's a dangerous place to to be relying on on top down policies. As yeah. I say, I I want to swim. I kind of want to swim independent of the armbands, if you know what I mean, a little bit, yeah. and 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 be able to um, be able to create a business that's self-sustaining. And and any policy that comes along, and don't get me wrong, we will we will we will help to encourage those things. I'm mm. not saying that I'll stand away from them. We are we are helping to to encourage those things. Um, but let's not base our whole business model on. Sure. And obviously, we mentioned the the climate KIC accelerator program. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we can't not mention Brexit and the likely implications mm -hmm. of the UK not being a part of the EU and being able to access funding for startups, you know, whether that's in the clean tech space or not. I mean, what, what was your reaction to, to Brexit? I and mean, this is presumably bad news for small business, right? Um, well, personally, I was uh, um, yeah, disconnecting my personal views from, from commercial. Uh, personally, I was disappointed. But commercially, um, yes, it is uh challenging i'm a firm believer that in chaos always comes opportunities and i think we're going through a chaotic time at the moment and i think that is actually once the dust sort of settles and and things start to happen and 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 we start to see a roadmap of merge actually i think there will be a great amount of opportunity coming out but you are you are right as well there is an element of concern there and i think it's not because all the opportunities have been swept away and been taken away i just think it's the uncertainty Mm. And I think that the, the UK uh, does have a, a strong place in, in building its, its own um, markets, but I think it does also have a strong future in building bonds with, with, with pan-European um, uh, collaborators, whether it be commercial or research. Um, that is still going to happen. And it's essential for us as innovators, businessmen and women, researchers, doers, thinkers to, to make that happen. Right. Because, yeah. you know, we have to we have to stand on our own feet. And for instance, you know, we're, we're, Germany and Austria are, are big markets, could potential be are potential big markets from us. And we've heard uh, you were talking about one of those awards, the Green Alley Award we won in Germany uh, last year. Yeah. And that opened some real, really cool doors for us, actually, um, because they're, they're quite warm to these products. Right. They like these sorts of things already. There's less of a battle there, less of a hurdle yeah. um, to overcome. And we're still having conversations with manufacturers and distributors over there. They are still wanting to talk to us because I think if you've got a good idea, you've got a good product or you've got a good service or whatever, irrespective of where they are in the world, they're going to want to use that if, if, that's, uh, if, that's, if that's available and given all the caveats that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, but yeah, exactly. You know, I, think it's, I think there's still opportunities out there. Good. Well, hope and optimism uh, is always good. Um, and obviously, it's early days, Tom. But I wonder whether you have thought about an end game for the business. I wonder whether you know companies like yours. And we talked about this, you know, previously about scale and yeah. about needing that scale to really have the impact that you want to have. I mean, what's the ambition for for a business like yours? Is it about you know plugging away to, with a view to becoming one of the big players, or is it about proving that business case with a view to kind of I don't know, selling out to to one of the big players that already exist. Have you thought about that? 
Yeah, I think I think really where I am in, in as the founder of the of the company is that I always wanted to create a company that was an industry leader in this in this way of thinking, um, and in circular building materials or, or high performing biocomposites. You know, um, I. I believe that in the, in the next five years will be key for us to be able to reach a scale where we can get into uh, take take small percentages of the mainstream market, um, and and develop the supply chains to be able to facilitate that, which is where a lot of the groundwork goes on. Um, but really, I wanted to create, you know, when I was sat on the toolbox, or you know, even years before, and um, sort of, I wanted to create a, a company that was that was really. Um, Really seen as as not doing any environmental harm um, through doing good and and creating creating impact through scale. Um, what what happens? I think we are going to need some strategic partnerships um, to 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 be able to meaningfully scale and have the impact that I, I imagine. Um, but what that looks like with regards to buyouts and and whatnot, I think is probably too early to say at the moment. But um, but yeah, I think I think the the thing the thing is is that we are driven by having impact, and and we will make the right commercial and 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 environmental and sort of you know I guess um, personal um, decisions at, at the times when they when they need to be made. Great. Well, Tom, I mean, Adaptivate, a fascinating business. I love what you're up to. And, Thanks. you know, there appears to be some, some great pockets of, of, of good work going on in the green building arena. Uh, but there does seem to be a real need to shake things up. And, and you're clearly making inroads into doing some of that shaking up. So uh, we wish you all the very best with it. And, and thanks for telling us about your, your story. Thanks very much, Tom. And you can you can actually read a, a small article on what we're doing in, in Wired magazine this month. So uh, if cool. you uh, if you find that on the shelves, then have a flick through that. Brilliant. Thanks, Tom. All right. Take care, Tom. Thanks very much. Tom Robinson there, CEO and founder of Adaptivate. Uh, I do love product-based companies that we, we have on the show. It, I think it just makes it so much easier to visualize the problem and get a handle on just how the solution can really benefit and solve real problems. Uh, and I think there's just so much scope for, for Breather Board and Breather Plaster to really get a grip on this hugely competitive market. Um, but as I said in the recording, I wish them all the best with it because it sounds like a great product with vast potential, if not a, a very difficult market to crack. Now I live in a you know incredibly drafty old house. It was built in the nine uh, the eighteen sixties. My house, um, and so we have almost the opposite problem of what these products are trying to solve. We have damp and we have drafts, uh, but I know many people struggle with this kind of the moisture and condensation, causing them a real you know real headache, especially a problem you know, in social housing, and uh, and causing all sorts of kind of health issues, particularly those suffering with 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 asthma and other sort of lung diseases and, and, and issues. Um, anyway, you can find links to Adaptivate and you can see all the products for yourselves on, on the website. Just go to betterbusiness.show. You'll see our, our show notes for this week uh, with some pics of Tom and, and the Adaptivate products. Um, anyway, let me know what you think of, of Adaptivate in the usual way. I'm, I'm Tom Idle at narrativematters.co.uk or I'm on LinkedIn as well. You can find me there. You can find me on Twitter at Tom Idle. Yeah, let me know. Right, it's time for a brief update on the news from across the world of sustainable business. So let's find out who's doing what and why with Vicky Knowles. Vix, good to have you back. How are you doing? Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. How are you? 
I'm very well, very well. Uh, yeah, plenty going on, plenty of stories going on out there in the world of better business. Um, but on the side of this, and of course, we had the, the closing ceremony last night of the Olympics. Should we start there? What did you find out about the Olympics? Yeah, absolutely. So um, have you been watching much of it? Have you been up to date with everything? Yeah, bits and bobs. I love the, love the gymnastics, love anything to do with the cycling, the velodrome. Um, yeah, love it. Love it all. It's good, isn't it? The cycling I actually find terrifying. I'm like, someone's going to fall off. But um, anyway, uh, so yeah, so Rio was meant to be the most sustainable games yet. Is it living up to that pledge? Um, so this article in Humanosphere, which actually that's a, um, a site I wasn't aware of before, um, calls it unsurprising mixed results, what with polluted waterways and apparently some haphazard construction meaning some buildings aren't up to code. Um, there was also some controversy over building a golf course in the middle of a nature reserve. Um, but despite its shortcomings, in terms of gaining publicity for environmental issues, the Olympics is an enormous opportunity, with sport having great influence over public opinion and even government action. Um, and 50% of the carbon emissions associated with the Games have already been offset. The buses used for transporting the athletes and spectators run on biodiesel. Food was locally sourced and included things like sustainably sourced fish. And the gold for the 5,000 or so medals was mined under good working conditions without mercury and recycled materials. So the article concludes that putting this two-week event on is no mean feat. Um, and perhaps what Rio 2016 has accomplished through through raising environmental awareness and minimising its carbon footprint is about all that can be expected, really. Yeah, and we didn't really mention the the opening ceremony when it when it kicked off a, a couple of weeks ago. But of course, you know, we had all that kind of politically and environmentally charged um, kind of themed opening ceremony, which was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we should have we should have mentioned that one. Well, and we didn't. I know. And you know, I, I, the environmental issues you know that the, the Brazil and, and Rio are facing are, are quite commonplace and I just I just hope that you know the next couple of Olympics that we have so eight years down down the line we shouldn't even be talking about this stuff that's that's the thing for me it's like the environmental impact of constructing stadiums or getting that infrastructure right or any of that stuff because you know there should be enough lessons learned now and there were some brilliant examples from from London four years ago and uh, it's, it's frustrating that we're still talking about all this stuff um, but I think that the you know the the, the legacy uh, there's an environmental legacy of course but the social legacy as well and I'm never entirely sure whether um, you know what what the, the the sort of true legacy of Olympic Games are from a social standpoint. Um, but there there was a great story actually about the uh, the food coming into the Olympic Village. Did you see this that that, that most of the food that was being served up to athletes over the course of the couple of weeks was not actually being eaten at all because most athletes were bringing their own food in um, so they could kind of, you know, stay on top of their own sort of diets and all the rest of it. And uh, and there was all these kind of kitchens being set up right on the outskirts of the Olympic Village which were, were feeding the local population for nothing over the course of a couple oh. of weeks. Yeah, it was brilliant. And there was loads of kind of famous chefs coming down and flying in and, and getting involved in it. But uh, that's exactly what, what, what the Olympic spirit is all about, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Very resourceful. Yeah. yeah. So for, for me this week, let me kick off with a story. There's a really interesting piece that I, I caught hold of on uh, management today this week. Um, all about companies that are not paying the minimum wage in the UK. 
and what appears to be government policy. I'm not too sure how long they've been doing this, but government policy in naming and shaming the firms that haven't paid the minimum wage. Uh, so, yes, a, a piece by Adam Gale, and he points to the fact that the government doesn't just fine companies that have failed to pay the minimum wage. Instead, after all those fines and wage arrears have actually been settled, the, the government is actually releasing a list of the offending firms uh, so that anyone can look at it. So public, the media, obviously the media have jumped on it jumped on it as well and, and and Adam says that you know not every business named in this list and I think there was about almost 200 companies named in the latest list of companies uh, and not every company is going to find themselves in the local paper but but those that, that you know that do uh, he described it as the modern equivalent of being hauled into the stocks and pelted with cabbage um, <laughs> and I guess I mean it's just a really interesting one the problem with naming and shaming uh, you know, companies over legal violations is that, you know, it kind of strips out the context and, and you know, small businesses are in the list and there's there's often quite, quite you know, reasonable reasons why uh, employment law hasn't been stuck to. Um, and, you know, the, the, the reasons for sort of failing failing to pay the minimum wage could could vary from, from sort of honest mistakes to, to willful deception. Um, and I just think it's a really interesting area, not because, you know, this is a real emerging issue within the context of responsible business and sustainability, but also in the context of enforcers. And, you know, traditionally this has been down to the kind of the NGO or the, the campaign and activist community to sort of flag up when, when companies are doing wrong. And yet, you know, we find ourselves in a situation where the government is actually doing that that job and, and, and highlighting those that, that have failed to kind of stick to the legislation. Just, I think, just re- raises an interesting debate. I mean, what, what do you think of this, Vix? Yeah, I, I wasn't sure what to think about it. Um, I can I can definitely see the point about being tarnished with the same brush with, you know, maybe big business is doing on purpose compared to making a somewhat honest mistake and you say you don't know about the... You can't see the context from a list, um, but I, I kind of wonder. Doesn't everyone know what the minimum wage is? But I mean, I mean, I don't know much about you know small business complying with um, with the law. But it's funny because you know in sustainable business in general, it's kind of that thing about should you entice or should you kind of um, what's that phrase about attracting more bees to honey or something? You yeah. know, kind of incentivizing rather than like punishing. But when it comes to this stuff, I suppose it may be. A, you know, it's kind of, you can't really incentivize it. It's got to just be like, if you don't do it, you know, it's, it's, it's quite, um, quite a scary kind of outcome if you, if you do end up on the list. So people maybe be more careful. Well, this, this is it. I mean, and, and you know, some companies might not agree with the minimum wage, but you know, it is the law. And yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, I was in two minds reading this. And as I say, it's an interesting, th- you know, debate. I think when the government set up the the, the carbon reduction commitment, this the kind of trade and auction system, which kind of, well, I don't know whether it's still going now, but but designed to sort of tackle greenhouse gas emissions. Essential, you know, part of that program was supposed to be this kind of league table, where the government could publish who was reducing their carbon and who wasn't, and mm. it was kind of information that was published for you know public consumption without comment and the problem is that you know if you if you do that it's an incredibly kind of blunt way of presenting information without any context 
and there's so many nuances in that information that's being presented and the same with this really although you know you could argue that, that this is unforgivable if, if you know if you're not if you're not paying the minimum wage then what the hell are you doing and actually this is not just some intricate piece of legislation that companies might overlook this is fundamental this is about paying staff what they they should be paid um but yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. But I'd be interested to, to know what our listeners think about this as well. Do you think companies should be named and shamed by governments for non-compliance? Let us know. Um, I'm on Twitter, at, at Tom Idol. Vix, you're on Twitter. I always forget your handle. Go on. <laughs> it's because I've got an underscore at the beginning. Yeah, at underscore. underscore. Vicky Knowles. B-I-K-K-I. Knowles, like Beyonce Knowles. Beyonce. What's with the underscore? Um, anyway, go on. What, what? In my hand yeah. Oh, it's not good uh, enough. Um, what else you got? So, what else have I got? Um, okay, so how about this? Um, we've heard about food waste being turned into all sorts of things, like new food products and fuel. Um, but what about packaging? So, Waitrose has launched two new ranges of gluten-free Fuseli pasta, and the box is made with 15% waste peas and pulses that don't make the grade during this pasta production process. So this is apparently a UK supermarket first and reduces the use of virgin tree pulp by 15% and lowers greenhouse gas emissions by 20%. And also the box can be in direct contact with the pasta so they don't need the inner sleeve, right. which is like extra packaging. And then it's 100% recyclable as well. So what do you think? It's cool. I mean, big focus on packaging right now. Um, there seems to be more sort of consumer interest in this stuff, fueled by, I don't know, social media, NGO campaigns, um, and and you know, um, there's lots of alternatives on the market. This is another one. We've had a few of them on the show, um, and it's down to big businesses like Waitrose to kind of be brave and bold and, and make investments and, and make statements. Which I think this is this is you know a big statement. This is you know great, um, a great example of, of, of new forms of packaging actually working. Um, I don't know. I mean, the the move to kind of alternative, more sustainable packaging seems to have taken so long. I don't know why. And it, it all, you know, good examples like this seem to be quite sort of piecemeal at the moment. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I know that there's there's a you know there is a there's a need to kind of start small and and trial new materials and all that sort of stuff. But I don't know. It just takes take so long, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you don't know um, so much about what the barriers are to that. You know what. Why 15%? Why not more? Sort of thing. Um, but it, so there must be kind of, you know, the processes of getting it and, you know, turning it into packaging must be quite tricky, I guess. Um, and maybe that's why, you know, people just don't know how to do it or, um, but it's, it's really cool because it, it's made from the waste from that product that's inside. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. quite holistic. Yeah, I love it. I love that sort of yeah, closing the loop on it. It's uh, it's good. But you're right. I mean, yeah, what are the intricacies of of producing packaging and making sure that it stacks up and and does the job it int- is in, in, intended to do and and then you've got all the kind of logistics elements and and whether, you know, products will keep in that packaging. Uh there must be so many things that that need to be factored into those into those decisions which I guess just just slows up innovation but but certainly innovative and certainly a great example um as with all these stories I'll, I'll put the links in the show notes so you can have a look at what we're talking about um there's some good package uh, some good, good photos on the on the on the site of, of these packages uh, for if you to have a look at that. that's cool um good well listen Vix I'm going to I'm going to end today with something very close to my heart uh and that is football uh, or, or soccer for our listeners uh, tuning in from the US. 
Um, but yeah, I'm very excited that the Premier League is back. Obviously, we just had the second round of games this weekend. And I sort of missed this when they did it to coincide with the launch of this, of this season. But the guys at ED.net put together this really uh, smart quiz which was all about how some of the Premier League clubs have uh, have kind of initiated certain projects or or made inroads into making their organisations a bit greener. Uh, obviously, you know, people think about football clubs, but actually these are massive businesses now. They're, you know, big businesses with big big uh, sort of stadiums and buildings and shops and, and all sorts. I know you're not a massive fan of football, are you, Vix? I'm not. I, I like um, having a kick about in the park, but I don't know anything about um, football clubs. But you can test me if you like. <laughs> okay. So, so which club, which club's pitch is made from old recycled tyres? Is it you- Manchester <laughs> United, Aston Villa or Birmingham? Um, I would say Manchester <laughs> Blimey, you got it right. The old, the old oh. Trafford, the old Trafford pitch is made from okay. two thousand two hundred recycled tyres. Um, yeah, this is going to be a tiresome quiz, isn't it? Uh, did you know that Aston Villa collects rainwater to grow fruit and veg on its own allotments really? to serve up in the club restaurant? That's brilliant. Uh, I didn't know they st- fruit and veg in in football clubs. I thought you were going to say, I didn't know they grew fruit and veg in in Birmingham. Um, (laughs) uh, Another snippet, St Mary's Stadium, which is the stadium of Southampton, you will know, was the Mm. first stadium in Europe to have floodlights uh, that use LEDs. Cool. So there's plenty more where that came from. Just check out the quiz. Again, I'll put the link in the notes. I think you're going to race there right now, aren't you, Vix? Oh, yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's good. It's a bit of fun for, for the new football season. And um, that's it. That's it. Thanks for sharing your insights and thoughts with us this week, Vix, and helping us to stay up to date. Oh, anytime. Thanks for sharing your passion for football. <laughs> Big week ahead. <laughs> what, me? Yeah, what are you up to? Um, I'm taking a day out this week. Um, but otherwise... Um, doing some social media stuff um yeah so I'm, I'm improving so hopefully if you ever do go on my twitter profile it should look quite lively because i'm, good, I'm good. learning more and more about social media so good good good, good. well good luck with it all and uh, we'll see you again next week see you next week yeah cheers vix and, and vix will be back again next week with us um, anyway, that's it for another podcast. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. Please don't forget that you can uh, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you haven't already done so, I do encourage that. You won't miss an episode then every week. Uh, and really, I, I encourage you to share the word about the show with friends and colleagues and family. Uh, just share the link to our show notes and get them involved in the show. It would be great to have new listeners on board. Um, anyway, that's it. I'm off for my freezes. We'll be back again next Monday. So until then... Goodbye.